Hi, Manuel. Hello, Anand. Um, so today my guest is Manuel Yori. He's a professor at uh, the University of Modena in Reggio Emilia in Italy. Uh, it's known as Unimore. Um, he works mainly with optimization problems, uh, such as packing, routing, scheduling, and so on. Uh, he proposed many uh, interesting models and algorithms based on inter-programming and naturistics for this class of problems. Uh, he has published many, many papers, uh, has a lot of collaborations, and very, has a very nice career. So it's my pleasure to have Manuel here. He's a very, very good friend of mine. Um, and right, Manuel, how are you? So thanks, Anand, for, uh, for inviting me. Um, I'm okay. Let's say I'm quite uh, bored. I'm always at home due to, to, to COVID. And uh, here we're still in a partial lockdown. But uh, I'm fine. I use this time to stay with family and work. And um, that's all. Right. Um, so you were like born and raised in uh, Reggio Emilia. Is it right? Yeah, so the name is not very easy to, 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 to report in English, Reggio Emilia, but let's say I was born here in, in the 70s and I moved from times to times, but eventually I came back to, to Reggio Emilia. That's where I'm speaking now from. And uh, I, I lived there for most of my life. I was born in, uh, in, um, in the countryside, not a very fancy place, let's say, not a very but uh, far away, far away from many things. So I used to be there most of the time with uh, um, women, let's say, my, my mother, my grandmother, and my grand-grandmother, especially with my grandmother and grand-grandmother. And I had a dog, and I was going uh, walking around the fields with the dog. That was my childhood, let's say. Yeah, it looked fun. <laughs> you, like, any brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have a sister. She she's eight years uh, younger than me, okay. and she followed the steps of my father. So she's working in a bank, and she's living not far from here, like Correggio. Correggio is a city like twenty thousand inhabitants, uh, quite close to Reggio Emilia. Mm -hmm. So, like, you spent uh, your your some of your childhood uh, period in the countryside. And then you eventually moved to Reggio and uh, uh, spent yeah, your the, teenage the years. Where, the place where I come from is called Barco. Barco is a small uh, town, 2,000 inhabitants. And I was not even in Barco. I was a little bit far away from Barco. And so in the countryside. <laughs> okay. the, house, the house used to be a mill. I think it's called mm -hmm, mill. Mm -hmm. So there was a river that uh, the house was using to 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 produce energy, and but then it the mill was was uh, abandoned, and uh, because we, we my family decided to do other jobs, and and I stayed there for um, uh, all the time, like kindergarten, primary school, secondary school. I only moved when I when I went to university. Ah, okay, yeah. okay. Oh, all right. Um, and then, like, 
you 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 went to the university like for undergrad. So what uh, course did you pick? Well, um, I started in uh, the in the nineties, uh, engineering, and at that time, the first two years of any engineering course were practically the same everywhere. So you could do these first two years everywhere. They had something like calculus, physics, chemistry, uh, some basic IT and, and stuff like that. So I started in Parma, which is not far away, um, but it was electronics. So I chose Parma mostly because my friends were going there. We could make a car and we could commute every day with this car. It was a nice period. But then eventually I realized electronics was not really my field. And so after a year, I moved back to Reggio Emilia, where uh, Unibo started the new uh, annex. It's a, it was a, a secondary school of engineering. And that was, uh, if I'm not wrong, 1993. And, uh, and it was a nice project. It was one of the first industrial engineering courses in Italy. So I went there and I started this, uh, this course. And I did it. I stayed there for uh, three more years and, and then I enjoyed the traveling, I started traveling. Um, the first good period was uh, an Erasmus period that I did in, in Paris. So I spent uh, an entire academic year there in Paris and that was a very, very good uh, period, let's say. And, um, and when I came back, I moved from Reggio Emilia. So I had enough living with my parents and then uh, so I moved to Bologna and I started uh, living in Bologna and, and I stayed there for a while. Okay, so you went to France but you already had some background in French or you learned there? No, no, no. It was, I had zero so a, a good friend of my grandmother, she used to speak French so she started teaching me some French before going there. <clears throat> but we didn't have enough time and uh, finally she had some health problems, she was very old. So I ended up in, uh, in France uh, without knowing any French and the first weeks were terrible. I was always dreaming of speaking in public in French, so that was my dream. There was somebody was asking me to speak in public in French and, and I had nothing, no idea. But uh, there were many people in the same situation as me and it was a great time, so we, we, we started learning French together, we had many classes and different courses uh, of language and finally by, I went there in September and by December I was dreaming in French, so it was, uh, it was uh, I learned well. Now, that this period, which is very good in, Italy, in, in Europe, is called Erasmus and it's, it's a project, a large project, maybe the best European project we have. And maybe it's something you should have in uh, Latin America, by the way. I think mm -hmm. it could be very good there as well. And it was so good for me that now I'm acting as uh, Erasmus responsible. So now I'm the one who's sending the students abroad. And, uh, and it changed a lot. Like, for example, now I'm sending students to Paris, and when they come back, they speak English and not French. And that's unbelievable <laughs> for uh, for Fran the France I knew uh, in the 90s. Yeah, 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 I can imagine that. <laughs> Quite unexpected. Uh, yeah, so how old were you when you went to f France? Like eight, nine, 20 years? 21? Oh, I was like 24. Ah, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was already like 24. So how? And ah. So how many? How long did you take to finish your? Like I think you spent one year uh, doing electronics, then you moved to. Uh, I spent one year in uh, in uh, Parma, then two years in Reggio. Ah, okay. When I was 23, actually, I moved to Paris. I went spent one year there, and then I came back and I finished my studies in uh, uh, Bologna, and ah. I graduated in Bologna in 2000. So it was. 26 when I finished my my courses. So that it seven took years, five years. No, but overall, including including the electronics period. Uh, yeah, but yeah, but that was fully taken into my new um, studies, which were industrial engineering. So I did not lose any exam. They say that at that time it was common to finish. Uh, the, the course was five years, but usually people took six or more. I took six. Oh. And I finish in 2000. Okay, so okay, so you you are 2000. Though you have you are about 25 now, 24, 25. Yeah, uh, 26. 26. Oh, okay, yeah, coming from France and other. Okay, and uh, you had traveled to to you know you you knew Parma and you traveled to France. You learned some French, uh, which is I think it it helped you later on, right? And uh, yeah. yeah, and. Uh, What what did you do next? Like uh, okay, I have a diploma, and then okay. Usually we think we okay we did a bunch of courses, uh, and so what is the next step? We, we, we you usually think about that. So in your case, how was the process? So, so when I was finishing my studies, I realized that most of the subjects I studied I didn't really like them because we had a lot of mechanics, construction of machines. Of industrial plants, or something that was not really in um, in my skills, and so I went back to an exam I had in the third year, which was operational research, and I contacted uh, Silvano Martello, who was my professor there, and we started the thesis, and we did this master thesis, and we did it in Fortran, and that was practically the first time I coded. I used to code as a kid because I had a Commodore. And I enjoyed coding in BASIC in, on the oh. Commodore. But then when I started university, I don't know why, but there were no coding courses. So I lost it. I lost it completely. And I went back to it um, during the thesis in Fortran. And um, and I liked it. Uh, we, it was a 2D packing problems. And we studied the, the bar relaxation. <laughs> If you want to pack a rectangle, that's very difficult because of overlapping. So a relaxation, which is still difficult, but not as difficult as the original problem, is to define each, uh, to uh, divide each rectangle into bars. And then you, you pack the bars. And uh, usually this has a very good value. And I remember when I was finishing my thesis, I called uh, Mingozzi to ask for instances, because I needed instances. And he said, look, what you did is completely useless because uh, there is uh, a new paper by Fekete who just solved all those problems. And, uh, and in fact, Fekete was unbeatable at that time. Later it has been beaten, by the way. But, uh, but anyway, I think I learned during the thesis and, uh, and I reused the idea many years later. Like 12 years later, I reused the idea and it worked well. Yeah, I... I... 
it's it's something that is uh, uh, quite recurrent here. Like uh, the pre previous guests I had here, they all at some point, uh, you know, at least uh, at, the, at least I'm sure that Martinelli and and Claudio, they 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 shared that experience of okay, uh, somebody else did uh, did better in some problem that you were studying. And it's, it, it, they, they, it can be quite frustrating, and it happens to many of us. I all, I've been through that as well. Uh, and so it's nice that you shared that, so to, to, to show that it's not something uh, uh, really unusual. But uh, I wonder, how did you approach uh, Professor Martello? Like, you just came to his office, and how did you meet him for the first time? And why operations research? Well, I liked the, the combinatorial part of operational research. And uh, so I just called uh, Martello. I was uh, in a trip somewhere. I think I was in Germany. And I needed to, to take a decision on my thesis. I was not so clear. So I remember I went on a public phone. At that time, we had still had public phones. And I, and I called Martello and I told him I wanted to do this thesis. And, and that was fine. And then when I came back from, from my trip, we, we started the work. And it was quite long, like we, I finished this first work in Bologna, then uh, I was not sure what to do. So I, I had a look at the opportunities and there was a grant, it was called um, Enlarge Your Thesis Grant, something like that. And I applied for this grant and, um, and I went uh, to, to Imperial College in London mm. and I continued my, my thesis. So Silvano Martello uh, got in touch with Elenia G. Costantino, who uh, was professor there. And so I went to London and, and I did six months there. And that was kind of a limbo between my uh, studies at the university, my bachelor, and my PhD. I was not sure to do a PhD yet, so I, did, I had six months there. Ah, okay, but like you, you called uh, Professor Martello, but uh, you should have, you met him at some point, like did, did you take courses with him? during the undergrad period? Yes, I had him as professor uh, and Alberto Caprara as assistant. Ah, okay. So I got courses. His course was on um, linear programming, integer linear programming, the basics, mm -hmm. uh, graph theory, again, the basics, like Dijkstra, Prim, and, and stuff like that, and the part on a discrete event simulation. Mm -hmm. So it was quite a long course. And, uh, and I liked it. I liked, I liked it. Okay, so you like you. Let me see if I understood you. Uh, you had, I mean, you spent uh, six years during undergrad, and then you took this uh, these courses, uh, and you became like uh, enthusiastic about the topics, uh, mm -hmm. and you uh, you graduated, and you went to Germany at some point, and then you decided, or you went to Germany while when you started the masters, and then you only decide later on who is going to be your advisor or or what is your research topic? Well, uh, let's say when I was about to finish my, my studies, I went to Germany, but uh, just to meet some Erasmus friends. It was a quick, uh, ah, okay. a quick, uh, quick. The, the, the big trip was later after the, the, the studies uh, on bachelor when I went to, to, to London. In London, it was six months. So in Paris, nine months, and in London, six months. So in London was uh, after the masters uh, or mm -hmm. after the master? Okay, for the six. And and when you joined the masters, like uh, in in Bologna, right? Yeah. So I, I did not do any master. Let's say 
at that time mm. that we had been that was five years and that was all so you do five years and you get uh, what it was called laurea mm. and after the five years you can start the phd or you find a job ah right it was only in uh, around 2000 that uh, europe sit together in bologna by the way and they did the, the bologna protocol mm -hmm. And we decided that all courses, with a few exceptions, were going to last three years for bachelor and two years for master. So what I got is equivalent to master mm. because it's five years. But I know it's different in uh, Latin America, for example. Yeah, yeah I know. It's very long in, in Brazil. Mm -hmm. So let's say you do the five years and then you can start a PhD. This is what I did. Ah, uh, right, right. And then in between that period, you were in London for six months yeah i did a paper with eleni uh -huh. in london um, at that time the phd any phd in italy was starting on the first of january so i graduated on friday 17 march 2000 and i started my phd on january the first 2001 ah, okay so period in the middle uh, i i spent it in london uh, and it was very expensive very expensive and uh, I learned uh, genetic algorithms with Eleni and uh, that was another very struggling paper because we took a lot of time to, 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 to have it published. It appeared I think in 2005. I think it took five years to, we took five years to finish it and then, and then have it published. And it was part of my PhD thesis by the way. Uh -huh. I think it appeared after if I'm not wrong. How did you find any grant to go to London? Uh, the grant uh, was provided by the Faculty of Engineering. Like if you finish and uh, you have this period uh, that can take you to the PhD, you have nothing to do, they have these grants. Mm. So I applied and it was not very such a big grant. It, it was enough to pay my, my room. So I had just uh, the accommodation. Then I was going to Imperial College during the day, and then during the evening I was working in the bookshop. It was very nice, like a very nice experience because there were many people. Someone from Manchester, a guy, was sitting next to me. I never understood a word of what he said, like even after six months. Also during the weekends I was staying at the, the bookshop. So, But we had a lot of tea continuously, a lot of cups of tea. And, and it was a nice period, this one. Right, uh, and what about the English? Uh, when you arrived in London, were you already uh, fluent or it was uh, a period that you really improved? I was not fluent, but I studied it at school. And, and at Imperial, they gave us uh, classes. I remember a class by a very old uh, professor who was teaching scientific English. That was very nice. and. Um, and I follow classes and then um, maybe by, you know, when, when you work on a computer, you know how it goes, you don't speak much. So inside the school, I was not speaking much, but at the bookshop, maybe I learned more than, uh, than what I did inside the school. And I think uh, I, I learned enough there for, for this period. Then I lost most of it. Because when I came back, I started visiting countries like Brazil, you know, <laughs> like Spain. So my English was was lost. Uh, but that's where I learned it. But well, how did you find a job in a, a job in a bookshop? 
It was by chance or you looked for a job? Uh, well, in, in London, uh, that is before the Brexit. You know, now London is leaving, it, London has left Europe for good. And that's uh, a big pain for those that believe in Europe like, like I do. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I try to send students abroad all the time. I'm sending hundreds of students and receiving uh, others. And I'm very, I'm very sad that this part of Europe disappeared from the Erasmus Agreement. But uh, at that time, it was uh, very easy to find a job. Like uh, I prepared a curriculum vitae. I left uh, home. I entered the first bookshop. I presented the curriculum vitae, and then they said, OK, hired. And the next day, they sent me to the um, office for contracts. I don't know the, 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 the English name. And in half an hour, I was uh, regularly contracted. And that was super easy. But that's crazy. No, but why a bookshop? You just saw, OK, let me choose the first. It was very nice. No, it was very nice. It was close to home. It was on the way between my home and Imperial College. I liked it. They were selling uh, um, books on arts, um, many, many things. At that time, they were selling a lot of Harry Potter. Oh, OK. It was, yeah, it was when Harry Potter came out. It was the fourth Harry Potter. And I remember I was there when when we started selling the fourth Harry Potter. It was a massive queue uh, outside the bookshop. And that's the way I learned uh, English, by the way. I, le I read all of them, all Harry Potter. Okay. Yeah, yeah. My, my, you know, my wife is also very is crazy about Harry Potter. And uh, she grew up reading those things. Like she, re she read, of course, in Portuguese first, but then she got uh, to read everything in English later on. Um, yeah, I, I suppose it was very nice experience to work like in an English, like in London, in a bookshop, and probably helped you with the English. And of course, you, you told you lost a little bit later, but I think it's some some things just stays there, right? You you just have to dig in your uh, subconscious or in your memory that, uh, that some words or expressions. Maybe you 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 kind of uh, end up understanding also uh, better, uh, although you had the incident with the. Uh, the, the, that interesting experience with the guy from Manchester, I know. But that's very, very nice. Uh, and that was your when you had your first real project, research project in London, and it mm -hmm. took a while to be published. And so was that your first paper published or you had any other before? Uh, it was uh, the first paper we tried to publish, but it was not the first paper published. Uh, after I came back from London, I started uh, again the PhD. I started the PhD with um, under the supervision of Martello. I was not very convinced what to do, so I started two things at the time. I did the PhD, and then I got uh, a job in a furniture company. Oh, I so, didn't know about that. Uh, yeah, I was. Um, Helping the the PDG, how, how do you call the boss of the company? Because he was always meeting with consulting people, and I was preparing data, preparing layouts, uh, doing analysis to help. I was in the middle between these consulting people and uh, the owner of the company. And um, after one year, I realized I was doing everything very bad. Like I was not advancing PhD, just taking the courses, but not real research. And also the company was struggling because, uh, you know, it was two full-time jobs. So finally I realized I had to give up one of the two. Actually, Martello was pretty clear on that. 
you said no matter what to do, choose one, because in this way you're not going to do anything good. And, um, and then I stopped working at the company because I, I didn't feel really, I, I was very calm. Like when I was going at the company, when I was going home, I was very relaxed. Like you, I, I was not taking my job back home, which you know, it can be very stressful. Yeah, I know. And, yeah, and the beach, it was different, but still I found it more interesting. So I decided to commit myself entirely to the PhD. And, uh, and in the next two years, we, we published, uh, we submitted six papers. Six wow, but all to journals then, or to conferences and journals? No, to journals, to journals. Wow, so in uh, two, two years you submitted six papers. Yeah, at the end of the PhD, I had six chapters in the, in the PhD thesis. So the last two years I worked, uh, I worked uh, to recover what I didn't do during the first year. But that's very impressive. So, uh, you know, when you got your first paper published and how did you feel? Uh, it was uh, in a chapter, mm. in a chapter uh, together with um, Silvano Martello. And at that time I was uh, collaborating a lot with Michele, Michele Monaci. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we had uh, a heuristic, it was not really so it was a, a mix between a genetic and a taboo. Mm. And it was a seminal work on the strip packing. We introduced uh, like the instances and stuff for that. But we believed something more could be done. But uh, it was okay. I mean, uh, we, we were accepted in this chapter and then we could continue with other, with other problems. And eventually moved with, to packing inside routing problems. Mm -hmm which was uh, the end of my, my PhD. And, and then what, the journal paper, when, when, did it come, when did it come first? At the time I was working also with uh, Mauro Dell'Amico. So with Silvano Martello and Mauro Dell'Amico, we started working on parallel machine problems. Mm. And the first paper was very long and uh, on a scatter search for uh, algorithm, again, meta-heuristic. My thesis was on meta-heuristics. And it was uh, a particular parallel process of scheduling problem with um, cardinality constraint. And I remember it was very ugly because uh, Journal of Heuristics decided not to shrink the tables with a tiny character, but to keep the original character for the text and for the tables. So I think at the end it was something like more than 30 pages, maybe even 35 pages. Mm -hmm. But it was very ugly to see anyway, it was active. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it's, we all feel sometimes uh, it's like a, we feel happy, but relieved. I usually I feel relieved to this day because the, the process can be like time consuming, painful, all, all the, you know, the back and forth with reviewers. And uh, I don't know if, if you feel the same lines. Yes. I, the, the first relief is when you send a paper to journal, you submit it, but it's fake. It's now I realize that with just a step in the very long and painful process, it will get back to you. So you know, when it gets back, it can be very boring. I, looking back, what I miss is uh, maybe more uh, the use of more systematic approaches, like the end was always having the paper published but uh, I lost practically all the codes I did. Like I never, I never 
kept an eye on uh, keeping the codes uh, like uh, well in order, reproducible and useful for the future. It, it, it was clear that the goal was publishing the paper and then, uh, not keeping the code. And, and that is something I regret mm -hmm. by looking back at what w we did. Was it like Fortran, C++? What did you do? So um, I during the PhD, I moved to, to, C, plus, to C, actually. Oh. We call it C++, but it was imperative C. Mm -hmm. And uh, I never liked it, never. It's, uh, I liked Fortran more, <laughs> but uh, you could tell uh, there was a big difference. Like uh, in Fortran, when you had a memory leak, the code was clearly saying, look, you have a memory leak, it stopped. Well, in C++, you can continue and so so you did all your phd in coding in c basically yeah c c plus plus and using cplex as a milp solver and um, also for the teaching we were using uh, arena for discrete event simulation and uh, ample for uh, um helping the code the, the students do some models and but the research was in c right and you once told me that uh when you're doing your phd you spent a lot of time in a corridor so can you uh give me some more details about that yeah it was um, i spent the entire time in the corridor i uh, we were at the second floor, we were very packed. I did a PhD in operations research and automatic control. I was the only guy in uh, OR, the others were doing uh, automatic. And it was uh, three of us in the corridor. And, um, and students were passing there all the time. And of course, they were always asking, and when I can find this professor, where is this other professor and so on. So, we put a sign with the three monkeys, you know, like I don't speak, I don't hear, I, I don't see, but it was useless. They, were, they kept uh, asking us again and again where to go and what to do, and, and that was a bit painful. Um, I remember uh, also at a certain time, I used to play chess just to relax a bit, and I remember the, the, the big boss from the department coming and looking at me playing chess. And I was in the corridor, so he couldn't look at me. And, but then I realized that he, he told me, ah, very nice, very nice, because he was a chess player. He liked it. So yeah, I, I also I like to play chess. Yeah, yeah. No. Mm. I had a, a, a lucky desk anyway, and that was very good. This desk is still there, I think. And many people did their PhD in that desk. So it was the lucky one. Starting from Matteo Fischetti, then uh, Juan José Salazar González, mm -hmm. and then uh, Andrea Lodi and Alberto Caprara, they all did the, their PhD there. So it was uh, the, the lucky one. Yeah. That's amazing. Not that. Do you have any photos that I, I would like to see that uh, at some point later? If you have any. No. I don't think I have any photos. But it's like, not very beautiful. But anyway. So, but you have a desk that was in a corridor, like uh, yeah, yeah. The corridor was inside the, the space for uh, professors. Let's say professors had their offices, mm -hmm. and the corridor had a, a, a kind of. Uh, at a certain point, it was getting larger, and then there was enough space on one side to to fit some PhD students. We were many. So we were there, but uh, apart from the students, 
the standard students coming and going, it was okay. We were quite, um, I wouldn't say in a private situation, but we were uh, having fun, some fun together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you told me you, you like, uh, you had the paper uh, on the parallel machine scheduling and then on the strip packing. And what else? Uh, you were mentioning something about uh, packing and routing. And what, I mean, uh, tell me what were like the six papers uh, you, you had during that time? Well, apart the, the, the two works on uh, cutting and packing, then I had two on parallel machine uh, scheduling. And then uh, at a certain point, uh, I wanted to, to move. I wanted to have another journey. And then I spoke with some professors. And there was Daniele Vigo there. And he told me, look, I have uh, a nice uh, research. I'm looking for someone that could do this research with me and uh, Juan Jose Salazar Gonzalez. And it was on a combined routing and packing. Mm. And he said, uh, you could go to, to Tenerife to do this research. And of course, that was, that was a wonderful idea. So um, during, I don't remember when I did, but during my PhD, so I spoke with Daniele Vigo and he proposed me this uh, uh, project, this research project on Tenerife. And, and of course I liked the idea. And um, at that time, Juan Jose was uh, in Bologna. So Juan Jose Salazar Gonzalez. So I could uh, define the details of the project with him. And I applied for a grant and I got it. It was called Marco Polo Grant. And so I could spend uh, a few months in Tenerife, a semester. And, and and that was beautiful. It was a very, very nice period. I was living uh, in, in a flat with people from Spain and Germany, mostly. And uh, I was going to the faculty of uh, mathematics where uh, um, uh, Juan Jose is teaching. I was working during the day. And then we, we had fun traveling around the island. The island is very nice. So, And I learned Spanish, by the way. And that was also another language I liked a lot. Yeah, so you landed in Tenerife without knowing Spanish whatsoever, or you already had studied a little bit before? No, I knew nothing, but uh, it's okay for, for an Italian to know Spanish. You, you know the, 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 the sure. feeling. So I had classes. I had classes both at the university and in a private school. I remember it was packed of German students. The private school was packed with Germans. It was because that was a very popular destination for German students to do their Erasmus or their period. There. And there were um, many PhDs and students in physics because they have uh, an observatory there um, on the mountain Teide, which is the uh, highest of Spain. They are very low um, light uh, um, problems. They don't have traffic lights or they don't have lights from, uh, how do you call that, uh, light pollution. You could say that. Yeah. So, yeah. so they, they can observe the stars uh, very well. So there were a lot of um, uh, students there. And there we, we, we did a nice work because I knew enough about uh, uh, packing at that time. I could do a branch and bound and stuff for packing. But I knew nothing about mathematical modeling and, and, and for routing. And, um, and one of them taught me how to do branch and cut, how to separate constraints, how to do max flow stuff. And, and it was very nice. He took a lot of time with me. And we collaborated again in, 
in the next years. And so at the end, we had this combination of branch and cut and branch and bound. And, and that was, a, 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 it was eventually accepted on transportation science. And that was, wow. I was very happy about, wow, wow. about that. So was it your first uh, paper involving exact algorithms? On, on the parallel machine, we did some exact algorithms, but they were just uh, a way to prove a limit. Mm. You see, when you want to do meta heuristics, you want to know where, uh, how far can the exact go, and so that you can do your heuristics. That was just uh, let's try to close instances to optimality. Yeah. So at that time, you already knew like English, Italian, of course, English, French, Spanish. You once told me you studied Germany for quite a while. Uh, so, when was that? Yeah, yeah, I I started getting. I liked German as a language, so I started uh, studying it both in Italy and then I did uh, some periods in Germany in classes. But eventually, I gave up. I gave up. I I really liked it, but uh, research and then. Uh, then there is a moment in which, uh, I mean, you do not need so many languages, like uh, you can live well with a few of them. It's a pity, it's a pity. Like also Portuguese, when I tried to learn it, at a certain point it was just uh, too much. I had, uh, I liked it and I still like it and I still can understand and I'm a member of juries in Portuguese and then that's okay, as long as it's OR. But I didn't have really the, the the willingness to 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 do it until the end. So to 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 become proficient in the, in the language. So it was uh, enough. For yeah, I, I can understand that. Um, so did you travel elsewhere during your PhD? Yes, when I came back, I didn't want to stay again in Bologna, so I applied for another grant that was called More Overseas Grant. And since I was doing this cutting and packing in an exact way, I said, okay, let's do it in a heuristic way. And then uh, I went to Montreal. And uh, there I, I, it was a joint work again with uh, Professor Martello, who was not part of the previous work, and with uh, Michel Gendreau and uh, Gilbert Laporte. Wow. That again uh, was a great period. I could use both French and English, because in Montreal uh, that, that's, that's perfect. And um, we, they gave me their code, Taburut, and they asked me to, to insert packing inside Taburut. And uh, I remember I took a couple of months to try to do that, and I failed. So at a certain point, I said, okay, let's recode this thing with my structure, and then, and, uh, and then it worked. And uh, I think I learned a lot there. Because, uh, you know, I was not an experienced programmer. And then I learned new structures like double linked lists uh, mm -hmm. and uh, the way to do uh, local search on uh, VRPs in an effective way. Because I never did it. So, so that was important. And, um, and also that led to a paper. Finally, it was accepted on uh, networks. It was a special issue related to a conference. And that was my last trip for the PhD. Yeah, uh, I mean, at that period, at that point, you worked with many uh, important researchers, researchers in our field. So that's really, I think it was a privilege to to had all that opportunity back then. Like, 
spending some time abroad in different countries um you know i think uh that that probably helped you in your like uh on your next uh stages of your career probably right you you got that uh, very impressive curriculum with many publications uh you mentioned now that uh, that uh one of the that networks paper was related to some conference uh do you remember the first time you presented a paper in a conference or uh, or a abstract or something yes it, it was terrible it was terrible it was in uh, in london and uh, it was a conference where i presented the cutting and packing paper the, the one of the first two papers i did in uh, in my thesis and i remember meeting there claudia archetti She was the first uh, person I met uh, in, a, in a conference, by the way. And, but already there, she was more self-confident, I think. I did a terrible talk. And at the end of the talk, uh, this uh, guy from somewhere in UK, he, he asked me a question I, I didn't understand. And uh, it took me a while. So at the end, he was asking where the instances come from. It was something like that. But, uh, but it was difficult to, to, to answer. And I remember I, uh, they misspelled my name. It was not Yori, it was Yon, I-O-N. So the guy, when he called me to get, to get on stage, he was looking for a Chinese. So he was not looking at me. So oh, I said, it's you. And, and that was my first conference. It was a, a workshop in London. Okay, so, but uh, was that like a international conference or some like very very few participants uh were that many people it there was quite small. it was quite small around uh don't remember but less than 50 people ah, okay it was okay so it was like a, a first nice for first experience uh, and the the next one the, do you remember any incident in some uh conference at that time meeting people for the first time um Well, uh, uh, concerning conferences, I had uh, I had a number. I'm not very a fan of going to, to conferences, but uh, I remember meeting you in a very nice uh, conference. It was in Spain, right? Yeah, Sitges, 2011. That was very But nice. that's already after you finish your PhD. But I'm saying during the PhD, when you were like still trying to establish yourself, uh, how was the process of getting the confidence to present and, you know, Well, um, it was not easy. I remember even um, I had problems like even in um, just uh, when they call a person by his name and then it's your turn and you have to present. For me, that was a disaster uh, because you have anxiety going on and on and on. So when it's your turn, you, you, you have already exhausted your energy. And I remember uh, that was difficult, uh, uh, for example, in Oswa. They have a big workshop on mathematical programming yeah. with the Gota or that, and that was tough. Just to to, to say who, what was my name and uh, and what did I study. Then I remember uh, another tough conference, but that was okay at the end, and it was the the, the final conference where I presented my my PhD thesis. I was uh, competing for for a prize, which I lost, by the way. It was uh, <laughs> it was three three PhD theses extracted from the entire Europe. It was me, and then uh, a guy from Belgium and and a girl from Poland. And eventually, the girl um, won the prize. It was she deserved it. And um, and I remember preparing this um, 
this stalls for a lot of time. You know, like you or you you do it again and again and again and again and again. And um, but anyway, the conference was nice. They paid my trip, and I was in Reykjavik. I shared my room with André Gustavo dos Santos, a Brazilian yeah. researcher that was uh, working with Alberto Caprar at the okay. time. Wait, you went to Iceland? Yes, yes, with André. <laughs> and uh, it was a very nice conference. When we arrived, it was very late. And we asked the hotel, the guy, the, the, look, there is still sun when it's going to be dark. And he looked at us and he said in September. That was beginning of end of July, something like that. So, so we had... Um, uh, more than seven days there, and it was wonderful because uh, the conference lasted the entire period. But uh, they were nice. I I had this talk uh, in the first days, and then uh, they were leaving some hours for sightseeing. They were organizing buses, and we we saw quite a lot of uh, Iceland, and and that was wonderful. That was wonderful there. Yeah, so, I mean, I noticed you like traveling a lot, but not necessarily taking part of the conferences. It can oh, be quite yeah. stressful to you. And uh, But I mean, uh, over the years, you, you kind of got used to it. I saw you presenting uh, several yeah. times and you did great. So you can hide it yeah. pretty well. No, yes, finally you get used to it. I mean, uh, I, I'll never be a, like a, uh, a professional on that. Like I'm more, uh, I'm happier when I'm I'm in a laboratory, but uh, I can do it as I think it's part of our job. So we need to do it. And then, yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah, I can relate entirely. You know, <laughs> so uh, I'm more like a lab guy too. Uh, uh, but so you got like uh, you're mentioning that uh, you're running for a prize, right? Trying to to win a prize. Like you were selected among the top three. Was it that? Yeah, it, it was called the European Doctoral Dissertation Award. Mm -hmm. And they select uh, a thesis from each country of Europe. I was selected uh, to, be rep to represent Italy. And then they select three among all the theses. And then these three have to speak uh, in front of a commission. Then one, uh, one wins. And I, I got to these three. And I think uh, a few years after, another... A student from Bologna, Claudia D'Ambrosius, she did the same uh, competition and, and finally she won. I think Claudia got the, the, the Euro Doctoral Dissertation Award, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But already being uh, like selected as a, in a, as a top three of the entire continent is quite an achievement. Uh, I assume you became happy, but you freaked <laughs> in a way, right? <laughs> because yeah, it was bad getting so close mm -hmm. that uh but it was okay I mean, yeah it happens I, yeah 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 uh right so i assume that by the time you, you got your diploma you 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 earn your phd so now what did you do so i i went back and uh, life for a postdoc in italy is not easy um usually uh, most of the people have to to, to fly away like to look for a position abroad and um, i found a grant it was called postdoc grant and it was a two years grant a two-year grant and so i could continue my study in bologna i was still with uh, silvano martello and since i had this collaboration i moved 
during these two years back and forth to Montreal. I did other works with um, Michel, uh, Jean-Droge, Gilbert Laporte, and then I met uh, Jean-François Cordeaux. And we started a collaboration that is, wor- that is still going on. We had many works together. And, and uh, that was a good period. I was not very... Uh, it, a postdoc is always tricky because uh, you want to get a permanent position but at the same time you can enjoy your freedom like you still have some opportunities here and there um finally the opportunity for me was in to go back to Reggio Emilia so there was no place in Bologna at that time I met my my fiance Ornella who was and I was living with her in, in Bologna so my first option would be would have been to remain there but but there were no places and uh, Bologna sent many people away during during the years. So going back to Reggio Emilia was um, a good opportunity because there was a permanent position and from Bologna to Reggio Emilia it's just uh, 60 kilometers and that is a highway so you can travel in 40 minutes you can be there. And so I started uh, in Reggio Emilia as an assistant professor in uh, I think it was 2006. So in 2004 I finished my PhD and then uh, I worked a little bit more again on a parallel machine, routing and loading. And then in 2006, I, I started working in, in Reggio Emilia. And at that time, I was commuting from Bologna. So I was living in Bologna and I was going to Reggio just to teach and do research. Mm. And then you got, uh, 2006, you said you got your permanent position and you st- had to start like, I mean, you were already teaching before during that period, right? 2004 and 2006. And yeah, I was teaching in Bologna already in the PhD. I was doing some classes for Martello. Teaching in Bologna was tougher than teaching in Reggio Emilia because in Bologna I had a class with 250 people more. And, and that was a lot like you two floors. It was very, very big. Uh, my first lecture was on a primal dual method. A pain, really a pain, but uh, I prepared it all night long. And the second one was on discrete event simulation. Easier, but really something I don't really like. But, uh, but uh. Then teaching in Reggio was easier. I had 50 guys. So it was, uh, I, I could take them to the laboratory. I could speak with them. I knew their names. And, uh, and I think at that time, now I have 180. So Reggio increased a lot during the years. But at that time, teaching was uh, was not um, uh, like a burden because it was a small class and we could do nice things together. I like it. When did you realize you wanted to follow academic career? I was not sure. I was, <laughs> really, I, during the first years, I liked the, the job of a university professor. And I thought I liked it uh, and I wanted to do it, but I was also very tempted to, to go to industry. So my idea was to, yeah, to be an academic professor, but then also to, to be a consultant. I wanted to do something uh, uh, in real life. And now I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to, to approach uh, companies and try to, to apply OR to some real world uh, activities. Also because after a while, in which, yeah, you, you know, you know the feeling, like you start studying something and, and then after a while, if you don't touch the ground, then you can feel a little bit uh, 
lost. Uh, yeah, so, if you we keep we spend a lot of time doing research using the benchmark instances, you know, uh, and then we do we compare and then we compete with other uh, colleagues and all that. And but if you, sometimes you feel that there's something missing, right? Uh, so what I'm well, I'm doing a lot of algorithms, models, and stuff like that. And how that actually, how do you put that in practice? And I understand your feeling. So uh, sometimes it's just uh, a necessity, if you like, right? To, to go on uh, and try to follow and try to experiment different uh, paths. And uh, so when did you become uh, responsible for the Erasmus program there in, uh, in Unimori, at Unimori? Uh, um, I don't remember exactly, about 2012 maybe, I think it's eight years or more that I'm Erasmus responsible. So I'm sending students all over Europe and then I started the, the more overseas program which was not available at the moment. And so I'm sending students to Brazil. I sent many students to, 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 to Vissosa and um, Joao Pessoa. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to send them also to Rio, but then because of COVID, we stopped, as you, as you know. I'm sending students also to Japan and to Chile in Concepcion, and, uh, but mostly in Europe. And, uh, and I like it. I know you're close. I know you, so, you have a very good Japanese friends, right? Yes, Mutsunori. Yagiura is a, uh, is a very talented professor, like he's very good in combinatorial optimization. Um, he has been visiting Reggio Emilia once or twice a year during the last, uh, I mean, I think he came eight times. Wow. It's, yeah, it's not because of um, COVID, of course. But, um, and this year, last year in 2019, I was supposed to go to Japan was my first time that uh, I could uh, um, give him a visit, you know, like after all the visits that he did, but uh, we couldn't go, finally. But uh, I'm, I'm still trying to send students there, I hope uh, I'll go, I mean, it's, it's in my plan. Right, so, uh, so then I think we are uh, approaching more or less 2013, and it's, I think, it, I'm not sure whether it was in 2012 or I think that I, I approached you. I sent you a, a, an email asking you if you wanted to take part of this very big project, three-year project. Uh, at that time, you had that Science Without Borders program that they had, they, they, they provide uh, some funding and grants for international researchers. And if you wanted to be like, we call it a special uh, international researcher, uh, and I never asked you that. So how did you kind of react receiving that email out of the out of nowhere? I remember I asked uh, Maria Batarra if I should do that. She encouraged me quite a lot uh, because I mean I met you there, and I think I I think I spoke with you once when you were visiting her uh, uh, or something like that. I'm not sure. In in when I I remember uh, the conference in uh, in Spain, and then I remember you inviting me to to, to Joao Pessoa. Of course, I was very happy. And um, I don't remember. I had family there, but I don't remember how many daughters. I think I had two daughters. Two, yeah. <laughs> Carlotta and Martina. Yeah. So I, I thought it was great to move there with family because uh, I could go to the laboratory 
and at the same time they could enjoy the beach and that's uh, that's what we did finally and i had a very good time there and it lasted three years if i'm not uh, mistaken mm-hmm. for a few months every year one or two months per year yeah yeah in the second year i did just one month because uh, we had uh, our third daughter isabella but then on the last year i took isabella to 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 joao Peso. and uh, it was not easy the trip like if you have a small kid and you need to take uh, overseas uh, flight, and that can be that can be demanding. I still remember it. But then uh, the beach and everything, we we had a good time there. Yeah, we spent I think at least uh, one or two New Years, uh, New Eve together or something like that uh, with Ornella and the kids. It was very nice. Uh, I mean, we 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 were very happy to to like to have you here we you helped us quite a lot no uh, uh with uh, you sent also students like uh, bruno max and stefano of course okay. and you end up publishing with all of them and and it's like also uh with that funding uh of that project we could also uh afford other other uh interesting resources and so uh, it was a very nice period for us, uh, thanks to, to your kindness and uh, involvement in all our research back then. Um, also, I, I, I'll, the, my first transportation science paper was with you, uh, right? So it was, a, it was a very, very nice period. And you came about, I don't know, half a dozen times here, and it was great. Um, and I think uh, you... Also, apart from doing all this very nice research work, I think recently you you got involved in some uh, astronomy group there in Reggio. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, it was a kind of joke. Um, I have a friend who's very fun of astronomy, so he's all the time, uh, all the free time he has, he's, uh, he has telescopes and he's looking at the stars and stuff. And so he told me we should create this group, we should do these things, and then. We had, uh, you know, not, you know, in Italy, you are evaluated for your research, for your teaching, and also for what they call public engagement. So, are you able to bring in our in our uh, uh, field science to the community? So, I thought that was a good public engagement activity, and and so I put together a few people. Another arrives, another arrived um, freely, and we built a, a group. A little group, it was like uh, uh, less than 20 people at the beginning, but a few of them were very, very motivated. And we started doing meetings, and, and then uh, when COVID arrived, webinars. And we started working with um, a talented researcher, Orose, who is from Reggio Emilia, and he's the guy who discovered the uh, underground lakes of water on Mars. And, uh, and now we are doing research with him. I have, I have all the data of this uh, um, satellite that is uh, traveling around Mars. And now we are solving a set covering problem. We want to decide when is the moment to take the pictures. Because it's crazy. Like this satellite costs a lot of money, like billions. And um, of course, uh, it's. Um, uh, if you need to cover areas and you're passing thousands, hundreds or thousands of times uh, over these areas, you need to decide exactly when to take a picture or not. And, 
And so far they did it by hand. You know, they have an operations manager, and like, like always, like in companies, they do it by hand. And uh, now we got the data finally, and now we, we, we are trying to, we are working to develop uh, a mathematical model, which is not going to work, and then a heuristic to define the sequence. Uh, and we are planning when to take the pictures from uh, in the next uh, period, where uh, when the, the satellite is going on the North Pole of, uh, of um, Mars. And this is going to happen in 2025, if I could be mistaken. So, so we are planning the, the, the in advance what we will have to do in the future. That's very, very impressive. Uh, very nice to hear about that work. Like what is started as a hobby, it turned out to be research then. And you're pushing all the way to Mars. <laughs> yeah. Roberto or Jose, like he, he published many times on nature, on science. He has multiple papers on nature and science. It's this level. It's yeah. So no. But uh, so I, after organizing webinars and conferences I, on the public engagement, I said, look, I want to show you a bit OR. And he was surprised. He was very surprised because they have an OR manager. But uh, um, so they know OR is important. They do operate. They don't call it operations research. They call it operations, like in companies. If you go to a company, you will not find operations research. You will you will find operations. And what they need usually is some easy rules to manage the problem. That is what they were doing there also. An easy rule to manage a complex problem, which is understandable. So what you can do is what we, as a community, should do is just to push a little bit and say you can manage the problem with a simple rule, but then maybe with a little bit more elaborated algorithm, then you can optimize, you can gain something. And this is what I'm trying to do uh, now. Who knows you get you can get published on like science and nature yourself. <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we are eating on, on some standard uh, uh, operational research journal. It's, uh, that's our Come on, who knows, right? Well, who knows, who knows, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. That's brilliant, Manuel. I'm very happy for you in that sense. Uh, like, you know that OR has many, many, many applications. It's literally everywhere. Uh, yeah. But, like, when you when you try to... When, you, when you're able to uh, blend, if you like, uh, um, uh, topics that are, like, you, your own work and then your hobby, I think it's that's the ultimate uh, thing you can achieve, and you know because you're just basically uh, trying to combine both ends. And I, I, I had that experience doing the the, the uh, guitar solo uh, paper and all that. That that research was really uh, it was really nice for me. You know I, I'm a, I'm very much into music, so I can imagine the feeling and and this thing is really really important in, in your case with very with a uh, it's a super relevant practical application and i'm really looking forward to 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 see how that develop um so well um right now you're like still in regio um you're supervising phd work like phd students uh master students we've collaborated a lot during that period i mean during the last years um i sent you a couple of students you know uh, rafael kramer for example um and uh uh, sometimes uh, I think it's not an easy task to find good students. 
um, I think you can take this opportunity to to tell what what type of uh, PhD candidates you're interested in and what type of background they should have and uh, what opportunities can you offer like grants and so on so so I, I had uh, so far as a supervisor or co-supervisor 16 PhD students so wow. it's, uh, it's a good amount and uh, mm, I, I, I had mathematicians, uh, industrial engineers and um, computer scientists so they are all very welcome of course um, the important thing is when you start you need already to think at what will happen after the PhD so supposing the PhD is going to be good, what will happen after? And um, at the beginning, I had people fr from abroad, like Jose and Manuela Alba, they were coming from Cuba. And, um, and eventually they went to USA. Now they're working as engineers. For them already living in um, Cuba, which they love, uh, was already a good step forward because they could get some more money you know, and uh, use their studies, which were very high, like they knew how to code perfectly in Cuba, use their studies to advance in, in, uh, in life. And now they are in Miami, if I'm not mistaken. Then I had other people from abroad, like Max Sanz, and I told him I'm not going to be able to give you a position in Italy, and he said, I don't care, <laughs> I want to travel. And, um, and that's what he did, like after uh, Italy, he moved to Edinburgh, where he mm -hmm. studied for three years, and now finally he's assistant professor. He started in September and he's in, in the Netherlands. So he had a good, uh, good position. Yeah, it was very happy and for I, him. Yeah. And I had a bunch of Brazilian students, thanks uh, to, to, to you and, and to André. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think they are all, uh, all those who finished found a position. And again, I'm very happy. So I already have a few people that uh, found a way out. Now I have a few Italians and this is going to be more demanding because Italy in this moment is producing PhDs but just one out of ten is able, on, on average, is able to continue his academic career in Italy. So that's a very high competition. It's too high. It's nonsense. The problem is lack of um, uh, economical uh, support for uh, young professors and um, and let's see what happens I still have two years because now I have a student that still have to, to, to go for uh, two years and I'm committed to find uh, opportunities for them that, that's that's a point so when you when I meet a student I'd like to ask him what he want what he wants to do after that's, that's uh, an important thing to ask Right, and <clears throat> I noticed that like you were a super good advisor, uh, you know, like I have Bruno here working with us and he's, he always tells that he was very lucky, uh, like Hafa also tells that, that they're all very lucky to have you as an advisor. Uh, I learned a lot from you, in fact, even though I, you were, like, I felt I did a small uh, postdoc. Well, I, you came here so many times and like, uh, in total at least more than half uh, more than six months i think and so I, I every time you came i could learn from you and like you you like you, you like to sit down next to the guy and start explaining in detail going through that and all i mean through through the process uh 
Uh, you're very talented as a, like in developing models and uh, very nice and good ideas, exact algorithms as well. Um, so for those interested in working with Manuel, uh, I mean, it will be a wonderful opportunity if you're able to do that. Um, and I mean, he's the quiet guy, stays there, uh, but he, he is a machine, you know, he publishes regularly quite a lot with many, many international researchers. And at this stage now, he's a well-established guy and one of the tops of our field. And I'm very proud to be his friend and collaborator. So Manuel, uh, I'm not sure, I'm not, I mean, I'm very, very thankful. Grazie mille for, for taking the time uh, to share a lot of memories of yours. And I'm um, looking forward to meeting you soon. And I hope this I'm really, I, I, I feel guilty that I owe you a visit. I know that. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. Uh, uh, we're supposed to meet, uh, uh, you know, na- last year in, in, in Bath, I think. But uh, sadly, the, the, the conference got canceled and we could not see each other. But anyway, uh, I wish you like all the best. Please say hi to Ornella, uh, Carlotta, Martina and Isabella. You know, they yeah, yeah, and uh, I hope you had some fun. And you know, Anna, thank you, thank you very much. much. Yeah, Anna, thank you very much. You are too kind with me, so thank you for an invitation, first of all, and congratulations for uh, yet another very nice idea you have. I hope uh, this uh, series will uh, will continue, I will help you uh, proposing. Uh, uh, new researchers that you can uh, interview for, for uh, and I hope this can be can be a, a long project uh, for you something that can continue again and again yeah thank, thanks thanks a lot I actually I need the help from, uh, from the colleagues and uh, and friends to, to keep this uh, moving forward and I'm looking actually I mean I'm, I'm hopeful hopefully I, I think uh, what you just said can be can become true, and we we we're able to help uh, you know young young students and those that are pursuing uh, an academic career in OR and related subjects to to learn from the experiences of these these uh, great guys that are willing to participate as a guest here. So Manuel, uh, once again, thank you, thank you very much, and. Let's keep in touch. Thank you, Anand. Let's keep in touch. Bye. Bye bye.